Business is simple. It's just not easy. We focus on three things to help you run and grow your business more easily. Talent, sales, and how to scale. This is the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. Everyone, Brian Whittington with this episode of the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. We have Josh Wagner on the line with us. He's a host as well. He's a host of Love Selling, Hate Sales. He's currently in Enterprise Account Sales with Shift Paradigm, and he brings a different perspective. Now, a couple of episodes back, we had Dave Curlin on, and we were talking about how do you identify good sales talent, and that's whenever I ran across Josh, and I thought, hey, this is kind of curious. This guy went from pharmaceutical sales with Josh, you might push back on this. You know, whenever I hire people, if I see that they're coming out of pharmaceutical sales or, you know, um, yeah, pharmaceutical sales or even sometimes uh, medical sales, they don't oftentimes do terribly well in the B2B world. But Josh is here to break that paradigm <laughs> as, as a shift of paradigm. There right? you go. And so he's going to break that paradigm for us and give us his, uh, a sense of what are the keys to being successful in sales going from an SMB intern selling radio advertisement all the way through to enterprise SaaS sales. So with that said, welcome to the show, Josh. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I appreciate it. Now, the question that we already start off, we always start off with Josh is, okay, so why should we listen to you? Why should we trust that you know how um, to work through this and it's not, you're just not with this one-off freak of nature? Well, I can say that for the past 20 years, I've been selling in some capacity and I've grown every single year. So if if we want to use the dashboard or, or the measuring stick for sales as income, we can use that as a, as a, as a measuring stick, right? So over the past, you know, eight years that I've been at this organization, I've grown every single year. My income since year one has octupled and, you know, I think I'm pretty darn good at this stuff. Nice. Octupled. That's, a, that's something you don't get to say every single day. That's right. <laughs> All right, cool. Now, so walk us through this. I mean, whenever you started off, um, how did you break into sales? I mean, what, what made you think, oh my gosh, I'm going to definitely get into sales here. Well, it's interesting. You know, one of the things I often say on my show is that nobody went to school for sales. Exactly so that, you know, right? it's not necessarily a, a, a direct career progression. And like a lot of folks, you fall into it one way or another. When I was in college, I went to broadcast school. And, you know, when, when you're in broadcast school, you do the journalism side, but then you also get into the business management side a little bit. And I had this one teacher who said, you should really explore the sales side of this business because you don't strike me as the type of person that wants to work every holiday, every weekend at night, you seem like you have a little bit more of that business sense to you. So he dropped me into his buddy, who's the GM of a small AM radio station in the Scottsdale area. I walk in the door, the guy says, hey, Norm speaks highly of you, welcome. Here, let me show you your desk. Uh, here's the white pages, here's the phone, have at it, kid. <laughs> And I'm like, what the hell is this? So no, wait a second. So before you go on, we have to explain to a lot of people, what in the world are the white pages? Yeah, right. So before, you know, you could just do a Google search or you had Zoom info or whatever <laughs> database digitally that you could just pull and curate lists with the click of a button. You basically had to open this book that was, you know, six inches thick and in the white pages the white pages was the business one right or was it yeah the correct other? the yellow page well the yellow page yeah you could go to the yellow pages but the white pages had a business section yeah that's what i thought yeah so you get the business section and it was categorized by all of these different things but it just basically was a business name and a phone number and an address so you know you could just start calling down those things and that's what the expectation was and you know i as a 19 20 year old you don't really know where to start so i started spinning my wheels a little bit figuring out what i was going to do just to get through this semester, right? I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be horrible. <laughs> so I went into the traffic guy, the guy, you know, who basically keeps stuff on the air. And I said, who advertises on this station right now? Like, give me a sense for who, who's spending money here. Cause it was a small station and it was basically golf courses or boutique shops. So all right, great. Now I've at least got some direction where I can go after you. If you've ever been to Phoenix, Scottsdale area, you know, there are lots of golf courses and lots of boutique shops. So not too hard to find those things and narrow them down. So I built a two, three slide deck that basically said who advertises on their station, this is what they get. And I started calling golf courses and boutique shops and I made it so that at least two days of my week, I 
was out pitching to these people. And I wasn't just sitting in there making phone calls. I said, I had to get out of here. I can't just sit here all the time. So I wound up doing that. I actually beat every person who was a full-time employee in sales in that semester. I was offered a full-time job and I basically said, F you, there's no way in hell. I'm <laughs> and, you know, I'm getting close to graduation. That was my first foray into sales and my first foray into building, you know, your account targeting, you know, how are you going to build an ICP and, and do some account targeting and things like that. Well, so let me, let me pause it right here. So we'll put a pin on it and, and kind sure. of unpack a little bit. So, so what we've developed here, and, and I've just been taking some notes, you've, you've mentioned the fact that you've grown year over year, right? And, mm -hmm. and I think that's one of the critical key points that we find in really successful salespeople is they are never comfortable with status quo. It's funny. Mm -hmm. I am. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm on a couple of these channels. I think you and I are on, on one of the channels as well. And sometimes people reach out to you for mentorship. Sure. And, and I said, you know, listen, if you don't have that growth mindset, if you're not constantly learning and that highly risk motivated, because she, uh, most salespeople are not going to be sitting around st uh, collecting stamps, doing woodworking, right? There's no way that you're going to find salespeople there. Right. I said, most salespeople, they're jumping out of airplanes, driving fast stuff, you know, doing some crazy things. And I think that comes out of that growth mindset. So were, were you not, did you have both that growth year over year from revenue or was there also some other growth that you had there? Well, it's a little bit of both. So think about it. The way I like to think, you say growth mindset, I, I think of, you know, there's a perception out there that salespeople are only motivated by money. And I think on the surface, it's easy to say, yeah, that's totally true. But I actually think the best salespeople are internally motivated. And what that means is they know their why and they want to be growing all the time to your point, right? There's that growth mindset of the status quo isn't good enough. I want to be better than average. I want to do better for myself. I want to do better for my family, whatever that means. I think the money comes as a result of that, but I don't think the money itself is the intrinsic motivator. That's just a, a, a personal view. Yeah, the weird thing about sales is sales might, it may or may not be the motivator. And that surprised me because I had the same mindset as you, Josh, but according to Curlin, mm -hmm. um, the number one indicator of success in sales is that money, money motivation, which really shocked me because I'm of the same mindset as you. However, Sales, unlike anything else, I think, well, really two, sales and leadership, if you're that CEO, founder, right. that revenue, that's your scorecard. For sure. Right. And so the only thing that does is tell you how well you've done. Um, so I, I love that. So you're talking about growth mindset, not necessarily money mot motivated, but intrinsically motivated. And I interrupted you. Keep going. Yeah. You know, as a scorecard, I don't think it's a problem at all. And, you know, I think a lot of people fear money and they have all sorts of perceptions in their head of what money is and how it's used and that it can be bad and all of those types of things. The bottom line is it's a vehicle to help you do what you want to do, right? Yeah. Like you can use it and wield it however it is you want to use it and wield it. You could, everyone has different things that they care about. Like I don't care about cars. Cars don't matter to me. I'm never going to go out and buy a Lamborghini, even if I can afford it. I drive a pickup truck. But then again, I love my house. I'm going to put all kinds of money into my backyard and my gym and my house and all those types of things. Like it doesn't, one's not right versus the other. It's just what people care about. And you can't do any of those things unless you have the money to do it. And like you said, if you're producing revenue for somebody else in, in, a, in an organization, there's intrinsic value in that, right? And, and you're going to be compensated for it. So, you know, I don't think the money itself is the motivation. Yeah, and, and I like what you said there, don't fear money, because oftentimes people are worried about talking about money, they won't have those decisions, or they'll sell out of their own pocketbook, as opposed to selling the value. And, and right. I think that's a critical key point. Um, good. And then you also talked, I was expecting you to say, uh, whenever that one person said, Oh, Josh, you should get into sales, you mm -hmm. threw me whenever you I was expecting you to say, because you're a people person, but that's not what you said. I, I can't remember the exact words. I think you're, you're more business minded or had better business acumen. Is that what they said? Yeah. It seemed that you thought more like a business person, right? You had more of that just intrinsic, Hey, you're, you're curious about this. You want to know how things work and, and not necessarily just sitting behind the microphone and, and which I love, right? Like this is the, the reason I podcast and I go on these shows is because I did have a love for that. Right. And this the new world of podcasting actually gave me an outlet to do something that I loved when I was a kid. So it's just a kind of a little sidebar, but yeah. 
Yeah, and I like what you said there. So not only uh, that, that business-minded, but you mentioned curious, which is another right. key phase. So out of that short little brief story, we found that you're year over year growth. You, you're, you're money motivated, but not driven strictly by money. So you're probably more others focused, which comes from that curiosity. And then you also laid out, you created your ICP list, that ideal uh, <laughs> customer profile list. And that was before anybody was even thinking about doing that. Very so, rudimentary, but yeah. yeah. So how did you go about even... Can, you know, you're 19 years old. How did you figure that one out? Well, the, uh, I didn't know where to start, right? When you just have a, a, a four to six inch book in front of you with thousands and thousands of names in it, you're going to run into a lot of walls real quick. And it's going to be very unmotivating, right? To sit there and just call a bunch of random people that don't know who you are. So, you know, if I didn't figure out who we were already being successful with, I mean, that's your, always your first start. Your best customers are going to represent what your future customers look like so that was just a, a minute in my head that said all right if i can figure out what the people look like that actually spend money with us now then i should be able to go find more of them and since i was in the phoenix Scottsdale area and it was golf courses and boutique shops it wasn't that hard to find them yeah and, and the other cool thing is um so that's problem solving most most people don't problem solve they just do they get right. so stuck in the busy so stuck in the i'm working hard and in reality, if they would just step back and do a little bit of planning and identifying the problem to solve for, they'd be so much better off. And the last piece that you, you mentioned, and I think in that short brief uh, conversation was time blocking. You identified two days that you were out of the office to time block. So you had, not, you had multiple different ways of prospecting. It's not single channel, but omni-channel. So my guess is you were doing those cold calls. You were out door knocking, likely. Um, did you have anything else mixed into that? Yeah, I mean, this was early days of email, right? So, so it wasn't super saturated um, and it was not batch and blast by any stretch of the imagination. It was a, whatever oh. was the email. Uh, I don't even remember what it was then, but you know, it was just, you could send one-off emails to somebody. That was about all. It was just phone and email at that time. Social media wasn't really a thing. This was probably 99, 2000. So, you know, people weren't on LinkedIn. Yeah, doing like probably outside doing rubber chicken lunches and everything. Else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, you talked a little bit about what are some of the things, you know, the curiosity and this and that. I'm actually not that process of a driven person. I'm a little bit of a cowboy. Um, <laughs> so I think that's a good transition into what happened after that. So I didn't want to get a job and I was graduating. So I called my buddy and I said, hey, let's start a business together. And he was like, doing what? I said, doing what you do, because he had kind of dropped out of college. He was working in event production, um, got hired by a big firm. He was doing really well. And he said, well, you don't know anything about that. And I said, no, I don't, but I'll, say, I'll let you do it. And he hung, he hung up on me. <laughs> and then I get a call from him two weeks later. He's like, all right, listen, I'm coming home. Let's do this. I'm like, all right, cool. So, you know, everyone starts a business with no experience, no money and no contacts, right? Like that's, yeah, exactly. that's pretty that's much the way to do, do it. it. Yeah. So that's what we did, right? And this was uh, 2002. We started our business. We were doing live event production and some video production in the in, in what was video production in those early days. And what we found really quickly was we were moderately successful, right? Like I had to go out and find channels. Like I had to find some channel partners because we weren't a big enough name. So I started reaching out to these people I did know. And you know, everyone would take a meeting, but it turned out to like, listen, you have no track record. I can't just bring you in. Cause I had, you know, I went to a pretty um, a fluent high school in the Phoenix area. And so I had a pretty easy network I could tap into out there. Yeah. And everyone, like I said, it was easy to get a meeting, but everyone was just like, man, I just can't risk. You're nobody. Like we don't know. You have no track record. You have no customers that can vouch for you. You have no this, no that. So I learned pretty quickly that we had to find some channel partners where we could subcontract the type of work we wanted to do. And we found a, a really good one in the automotive training industry where they needed a lot of the logistics and event production and things like that. So we took on that piece of their business and we're pretty successful with that. We wound up doing video work on the side and this and that not on the side, but as a, as a lower tier service. Um, but what we, what we learned and the reason that business didn't keep on is that we didn't really build a business for ourselves. We built jobs, right? There was no scalability. If we weren't hustling, we weren't making money, but at the same time, the thing that came out of it was I learned about, a PL statement, a balance sheet. I learned about cash flow. I learned about all of the things that, even though it was a two-person company, the executives of a company have to care about in order to survive. That in itself, that just 
inherent knowledge of what happens in a business and how a business runs, even though it was maybe a $300,000 a year business, applies to a $300 billion business. Right. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny how the, the same principles apply. There's just some different zeros. And if you can speak Correct. to that, the business acumen, again, we brought it up. It's, it's terribly important. And, and I like also that it's lessons learned, right? The biggest ways that we can learn is from our failures, unfortunately. I wish it was that whenever yeah. we won, that's whenever we learn the most. Yeah, but unfortunately, it's the lessons learned. All right. So you went there, you got hung up on by your buddy. Go ahead. You had something to say. <laughs> No, not at all. So, you know, that business lasted four or five years. And like I said, it wasn't really a business. We created some decent little jobs for ourselves. But um, when it was time to move on, we were both actually getting married the same year. And we were traveling a lot. I mean, we were on the road probably 10 months out of the year. And like I said, it wasn't super sustainable. So we wound up going our separate ways and figuring out, you know, what we were going to do next. And I wound up taking a job for in sales for an e-learning company that was pivoting its business at the time. And what I mean by that is they worked, they were a traditional production business and they got crushed by 9-11. Hmm. You know, they had big airline clients and things like that. So like, how do we take these resources and pivot them into something that's more modern? So they were trying to figure out in their book of business, who could they pivot into e-learning and then what would the future look like? And that's what they brought me in to do essentially was try to figure all of that out with the owners. And what was really, really fun about that is it was, I learned so much more about business because the way we tackled the market was e-learning e was maybe not as sophisticated as it is now, but it was already saturated. You weren't going to go into corporate e-learning brand new at this point and be successful. Right. Um, so what we did was identified niche vertical markets where there was high compliance, but low sophistication. And we brought in our platform and said, listen, this gives you all the capability to track and report from a compliance standpoint, but we bring subject matter expertise to your industry. And the way we did that was we found an SME in that business who was doing like live trainings or things like that and said, hey, how do you want to get another income stream for you? Partner with us. We'll turn all of your curriculum into e-learning, and then you can make money off of how we sell it, Right. So what we wound up doing was creating a shared service around their core business. And when I was there, we spun up five different vertical market niched businesses mm -hmm. around this e-learning platform. So I got to start a new business every few, every, every little while, you know, create partnerships. I learned about channel sales. I learned about part, you know, how to, how to partner with people. Um, obviously I had to go out and sell it. Right. So, you know, I wound up going to events and at this point is also where I got into marketing automation. So there's a little bit of a story in there. Um, during that time, I connected with who is now my, still my current boss, Justin Gray. And we went to grade school together in Fountain Hills, where we grew up is a, a, a suburb of Scottsdale. And just a LinkedIn connect. Hey, what's going on? Let's grab lunch. All right, cool. So we go grab lunch. And at the time he was uh, building a payment processing company, was talking to me a little bit about that. And he also had started this little service business. We didn't talk about that too much, but he was trying to differentiate his payment processing business. So I actually wound up selling him some e-learning um, as a differentiator for that business. But it was funny after we had lunch, I started getting these like little emails from him that said, Hey, I noticed you were on my site. I'm like what? <laughs> oh, look, you've got a score. So this was like 2009. And he was Marketo's 20th customer, if you're familiar with Marketo, the marketing owner. Yeah, side. so he was really leading it to him. Really leading it. She had such a bad onboarding experience that he started a services company to help companies implement Marketo, right? So we start talking more about that and I'm still running sales and marketing for this e-learning company. And he says, well, why don't we work with you to kind of, go to the next level in that. So I hired them to help me implement Marketo and Salesforce at, at the e-learning company. And that's a pretty company. powerful tech stack for back in the day. Well, especially for a 20 person company. Yeah. Right. I mean, we were small, right? I mean, we were, we were, we were SMB for the, like no question about it. So I go through that. I go, I, you know, I become a Marketo power user. I'm doing all this kind of stuff. And if you fast forward a few more years, um, I was ready to make a change. And this is where the pharma thing comes in, right? And I'm like, all right, I, I'm just, 
this is good. I've gained a lot of experience, but I just don't feel like the growth, you know, I kind of had incentive. I was kind of incentivized like an owner, but kind of not. So I just wasn't making enough money. And my, my wife and I just had another kid and it was like, all right, we gotta, we gotta move on to something else. So I'm at a 4th of July party with a buddy. And he's like, you should just get into medical sales. You can easily make, I don't know, I think what he said, like you could make a buck 50, no problem. I'm like, Oh, really? Like, okay, cool. So how do I do that? I didn't know anything about it, but it's interesting. So let, me, let me pause you there before you go on to that. So yeah. Ken, we're about yeah. to move to uh, farming, uh, pharma, uh, pharmaceutical. So what I like here is you, there's riches in the niches, right? The old cliche, riches in the niches. Yeah. So you, you've identified five niches and that's a critical key importance. And if you are struggling, you as a listener are struggling with how to go about identifying that position, because that's really what Josh did is how did he positioned himself well. And I think you said um, you, you identified the niche of high compliance. Was it low technology or low? Yeah, low sophistication. Low sophistication, right? So yeah. able to do that, and that stood him apart. So even though he was in a super loud space, he was able to um, to niche down and differentiate himself in that. So a really good resource is if you listen to uh, or go back and listen to, I forget which uh, podcast it was, but look up um, April Dunford's Obviously Awesome uh, <laughs> is a really good way of doing it. Are you familiar with her, Josh? Yeah, I am. Lover, hater? No, I think she's good. I yeah. think she's very good. So um, it's a really good way of doing that. So he spun up five different niches there. And then one other thing too, and I just finished, or I'm just finishing up uh, Justin, um, oh, why am I blanking on his name? He, he wrote uh, Tech Sales. Mm, oh, Justin, um, he's a buddy of mine. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, right. We're both blanking <laughs> on his name. They go right in front of me. So uh, Justin Michael, for goodness sake. Michael, never yeah. trust the guy. He's been, on, he's been on my show. Yeah, right. So um, we are uh, just finishing up Justin Michael's uh, tech-powered sales. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the other thing that you did. Right now, it's so critically important. You said it yourself. I became a power user or a Marketo. And mm-hmm. that's the way that you're going to differentiate yourself. I mean, if you know tech now and you become power users of this technology, that's what is gonna separate you out from, every, from, from the rest because you cannot keep up. If you're not working more wisely, if you're not working more effectively, you're gonna get just rolled over. So um, other pieces that you would like to pull out of that, that segment of your life? Yeah, I think that it was very, like I said, a very good learning experience. I was growing, but not growing fast enough for, where I was in my life and where I was getting to be. Um, and to your point around niching, like I always say niche wins, like you could, you don't have, if, if you're all things to all people, you're nothing to no one. And if you can niche to a point where you dominate just a very small segment, you're going to be so much more successful than trying to own, own everything. Like there's only one Amazon for a reason and <laughs> you know, they're unique. They're, they're they, the true definition of a unicorn. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I do think that you're onto something there with the niching down concept. Yeah, hundred percent. So, all right. So, so, so we did that. Oh, and this is the other piece for the sales leaders and the 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 sales managers. The reason Josh left the, the lack of opportunity, the lack of growth, and and so make sure the number one thing that I hear whenever we're looking at new salespeople to come on board to one of our clients, why are you leaving? And it's so often I'm being micromanaged, which you have to be careful. That could be code for, I don't want accountability, um, <laughs> right? Or there isn't any learning or continued development there. So those are the number one reasons that we hear. Um, so you moved on and a buck 50 back then was pretty decent money. So you moved on to, to pharma. So talk to me about how do you went into pharma? Yeah. So like I said, I'm in a swimming pool with a buddy and I'm kind of complaining about what I should do next. And he says, well, my wife's in pharma. You know, if I, if I were you, I would just get, you know, either med device or pharma or something. You can easily take that next step. I'm like, okay, well, I don't know anything about it. How am I going to do it? And actually his wife was really cool. She went through with me, like, here's what you need to know. Here's kind of like the playbook that I, I set out. Here's how you get interviews, this and that. I'm like, all right, cool. So she was super helpful. And it was the craziest thing. Like, when I got out there, they love people who came from B2B sales. I bet. They like they love sell. it, <laughs> right? Like that was, and it's funny, they actually didn't really want to talk about my most recent job. They wanted to talk about the company I failed at that hmm. I started. They're like, this is fascinating to me. Talk to me about this company. What'd you do? Why'd you do it? You know, I just gave them the same story I gave to you. And we talked about my sales experience at the e-learning company where I was for seven years. It wasn't insignificant. Uh, 
very, very little. Yeah. It was, it was wild. And within no time, I had all these offers that had a base salary that was higher than what I was making before. Cause I was commission only Yeah, in my gig before. So it was, I was just like, okay, yeah, let's do it. And I get in, I start doing the job. I go out to New Jersey for the training. And one of the things that, you know, I don't want pharma people to take this the wrong way. It felt very unsophisticated to me because what I came to find out is in a highly regulated industry where the white lines are clearly painted for you. Again, I'm a bit of a cowboy. I'm not much of a rule follower. Um, you're a talking bill. You're a walking billboard. You can't really go into a doctor's office and have a strategic conversation. You can only say so many things and, you know, you're frankly interrupting them. Um, and then you have no control. So you don't get them to sign anything. You hope that they were, when they see the condition that you're selling the drug for, you hope they think of your drug. You then hope that they think of it and write a prescription for it. Yeah. You then hope that the person takes the prescription to the pharmacy. You then hope that the pharmacist doesn't replace it, which is generic. <laughs> you then hope that that gets tracked in their system and back to you and you actually get paid on it. Nice. So there's very little control you have over the extra money you make. Right. And that's when I learned that I really don't give a shit about a base salary. <laughs> I, I'd really much rather have control and bet on myself for what it's going to be. So it was interesting. The company that I worked for within the five months that I was there, I was only there for five months. They got acquired and I was like, oh man, I'm brand new. They're not going to want to keep me around. And while I'm sitting in the parking lot of a doctor's office in Tucson, which is South of Phoenix, Waiting to go into my next appointment, um, I get a text from Justin Gray, the guy I had lunch with at LinkedIn and who helped me implement Marketo and Salesforce. Hey, I need someone who understands this stuff to come sell for me. Why don't you come over? Like, done. Let's let's do it. So I go do an interview with him and his his uh, head of delivery at the time, and that was in March of 2014, and I started selling marketo professional services implementation optimization and staff augmentation in the early days of, of lead md like i said it was a, maybe a three million dollar company at the time but it was now taking a lot of that stuff that i had learned and selling to and through software reps so now this is for the first time i get exposed to software sales like really heavily right like my my channel was software sales reps and getting them to instead of sell their own professional services, sell mine. Nice. Right. Now, With were you, were you, uh, was Marketo a freemium then? Or how, how were you going? No, Marketo was never a freemium. Um, so in those days, you know, they were selling probably 20 to 70K ARR deals. And okay. we were selling anywhere from 10 to $35,000 implementations. Nice. Okay. So yeah. now you, you, you were selling and did you step right into an enterprise sales position or how, where did you step in at? Well, not really. Cause you know, inherently we were small, right? There was me and I think a sales leader at the time. I don't even remember. And you just kind of worked with the Marketo reps to find who they can int introduce you to. So if I worked with the enterprise reps, I worked with larger companies if I worked with the commercial reps, I worked with smaller companies and, you know, it kind of is what it was, but I would say it was very much SMB because it was far more transactional. When my average deal size was 25 K, yeah. you know, I had a pipeline of 10 to 15 deals at all time every month. Right. Well, now I would think I've never, never done channel sales, never done VAR. Right. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that whenever I used to um, engage with my clients and, and help them with it, it was really staying top of mind, being a, a better user experience for that Marketo rep to send more people to you. Is that the way that you, that you found success or how did you go about yeah, it? Yeah. So I sold direct. It wasn't, but I was looking for Marketo reps to refer me into deals. Okay. Got it. Right. So, you know, my goal was, you know, I wasn't white labeling our solution. I was basically trying to get them to, say, okay, if you've got a, a hot prospect, they're going to have a better experience with us than your own internal professional services. So that was right. one of our channels. Um, we also did some direct, and then we did a lot of inbound. I mean, in the early days, it was a pretty niche market, right? And if people needed help, there wasn't too many places to go. So we got a fair amount of inbound as well. 
Yeah, and Market Marketo did an amazing job with with branding. I mean, they were they really coined the phrase. I mean, they didn't come up with it, but they really made it popular that the account based marketing seemed to really come from them. Yeah, account based marketing, marketing automation in general was you know part of that whole wave of you know the HubSpot Marketos during that time frame. Yeah. No. So how? So walk me through it. So how did you move? Um, from the predominantly SMB space up to the enterprise. And let's talk about some of the differences there. Yeah. So like I said, since I've been here eight years now and we've grown every single year as an organization and we didn't just do that by, well, we did it a couple of ways. The first was just doing more, right? Like getting more, doing more deals, but it's a grind, Right. And there's two, two pieces of that in a service-based business, right? From a sales standpoint, you only have so much time. And if you're just churning 15 deals a month in pipeline, like it's a lot of work, right? Yeah. And it's not a ton of revenue, actually. You know, 25K deals isn't that much when you have a pretty small sales team. Um, but the other side of it is it on the delivery side, keeping up with that volume of delivery is very challenging as well. So each and every year, we made a very distinct point to expand a little bit right? Think a little bit bigger, talk a little bit bigger. And what we found as an organization was the implementation of the technology itself wasn't making people successful. So we started understanding that there were services surrounding just the implementation that we could bolt on and start increasing the value prop to our customers. So, you know, what started as only selling Marketo implementation, optimization, and managed service grew into, well, now we do data hygiene. Now we do buyer personas. Now we do lead management and, and buyer journey mapping. Now we do this. Now we do that. And what we were then, and you fast forward to today, we're a consulting company, right? Yeah. We have, you know, you talked about big uh, management consulting when we were doing pre-show prep. We have some elements of management consulting, like go-to-market audience intelligence. We have operational effectiveness. We have data, data management, data architecture. And then we have how you like more of the agency type stuff, like how you actually campaign and, and, and your channels that you go to market with. So each year we just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I finally hit that inflection point where it's like, I like the big strategic deals. I like building business cases. I like going up in the enterprise. I'd rather do two deals than 10. And it's just more fun for me. I'm just, I'm built that way. So as we started to grow our sales team, I just stepped in and said, oh, I'm going to do the enterprise. Like that's, that's where I want to go. Um, so that was a little bit of the transition for me. Yeah. And it's kind of curious, right? Because some people will loathe enterprise sales because of um, it's a lot. You, in one way, you have to be patient to get everybody's consensus in there. But right. in another way, you can't be patient because you got to keep the, the, the cycle time as short as humanly possible. So some people have, uh, the ability to do it and others don't. So you, you're, you said that, Hey, this is just a natural for me. I was able to slip right in. So a couple key learnings in, in, in that time. And like I said, I've, some of my best friends are software sales reps and I've, you know, I've sold their software for them in a lot of cases <laughs> at this point. So, you know, maybe I don't sell software directly, but I, I definitely do indirectly. Um, I talk about this on my show and this is the concept of seller market fit, right? We always talk about product market fit when we, you know, someone brings a new product to market, but as a sales professional, there is a natural fit for you in the market where you're going to be more successful. Like I sell marketing to marketers. I can do that. I'm good at it. If you needed me to go sell engineering to engineers, I would suck. I'd probably <laughs> never make my number. I wouldn't know how to have a conversation. Like there is a fit element to where you belong. And that just, the, the type of solution is one thing. The other is the type of transaction. So I have a buddy who's a badass seller, but he is a volume and velocity, needs to have every hour book with meetings, likes to have a lot of deals going, really good at a transactional sale. And he makes a killing doing it. He doesn't like the enterprise. It doesn't work for him. So that's some self-awareness around where that fits. It's like that drives me crazy, right? Like I need to think about who is a good fit. Why? What's their problem? Where can we fit in? What is the business value? Can we get to the executives? Can we, you know what I mean? Like that whole 
process of building it out an enterprise deal is really exciting to me. So I think as, a, as an individual, you talked earlier about why people leave companies and they don't see a path for growth. I think sales leadership should do a better job of understanding that it's not just, okay, you sell, you crush it, go be a frontline manager. Like being a frontline manager sucks for me, right? There is a path for individual contributors to grow. And especially in these big SaaS companies, right? You typically have an SMB team. You might have a mid-market team. You might have an enterprise team. Sometimes there are team leaders who don't have to be managers, but can be like mentors. You know, some of the, I, I love helping people. Doesn't mean I want to be a sales manager. Yeah. I'll help everybody on my team, right? But I, I don't need to be their boss. I don't need to enforce rules or tell them to put something in Salesforce. Like I don't like doing it. So why would I ask someone else to do it? <laughs> Well, and it's funny though. So you said there, there's a seller market fit for that offering. And what was the second part that you said? Because that gets into um, sales personality almost, but what, how did you coin it? Uh, more along the lines of just, just growth. Like you don't necessarily have to, there's, it's not a linear path to, hey, you crush it in sales and then you become a frontline manager and then you become a frontline manager and become a VP. And like. Yeah management's not the only option for people. There are a lot of people who are very good individual contributors who can make a career and continue to grow as an individual contributor. Yeah. And I mean, you can literally make a career if you, especially if you're in an enterprise, I mean, you can do pretty well at that more transactional SMB. Um, mm -hmm. If you're selling a, a, a value-added component or offering, yeah. you can do pretty well. But if you get into enterprise, I mean, there's no reason that you can't make it. There's people making into seven figures if you start to do pretty darn well um, in, in enterprise. So absolutely. Yes, sir. Yeah, there's professionalism within it. And then I would also challenge a lot of times that management, the, the leadership, it's less about account or it's less about supervision now, right? Because there's so much software. It's so easy to push a button and see how people are doing. And I think it goes to what you were talking about, Josh. It gets more into that, that coaching, mentorship, and training uh, of, of building this out to make others as good as you. And, and I think there's a, a huge component of that. I think it's less about that supervision. So the problem is we said at the top that nobody went to school for sales, but even less people went to school for sales management. <laughs> exactly. So and it's sales a completely different skill set too. Yeah. So sales management is largely still undefined. And what you see happen, and it happened to me, is you're crushing it. Now it's time for you to take the next step. You should be the head of sales, or if you're in a big company, you're a frontline manager. If you're a little company like me, you're the VP of sales. And there's no playbook and there's no real set of expectations for what you do in that role. And it's the craziest thing. And I've seen it so many times you bitch about, Oh, logging activities and Salesforce and this and that, and that I would never do that. And then as soon as the role switches, that's all you do because <laughs> you don't know anything else. There's no like good guide. So unless you get put into a situation where you have a great mentor who can talk you through what sales leadership is, you're in, organically, maybe just a great coach. You know, I don't know. You're going to fail. But right? what makes it even worse, Josh, is most people like you who are naturally gifted salespeople, they have no idea why they're good. They're like, I don't know. You just go out and do it. You just go out and figure it out. Come on, kid, just work harder. And that's their coaching, right? They have no idea how to bring process and playbook that you were talking about your friend's wife who walked you through the playbook and how to yeah. do it. I mean, right. that typically doesn't happen. In the old days, that's how I grew up, right? Hey, here's a phone book. There's a phone. Good luck, kid. Yeah. Let me know how it goes at the end of the day. Don't suck or we'll fire you. Right. And that was onboarding back in the day and that was acceptable. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it completely different along, along those lines. So a couple of things out of this, know who you are. You talked about it a little bit earlier, Josh, is have that self-awareness. Self-awareness is so important and so yeah. underrated. And, and be authentic and you can do amazingly well, no matter the position, make sure that you're within a company that doesn't cap you from a, from an income perspective that yep. they're, they give you realistic opportunity to, to grow and, and improve and figure out ways of, I was talking with a young lady uh, the other day, she's the number one person on their team mm -hmm. and they're banging her because she's not hitting certain KPIs that the people who are hitting the KPIs aren't even setting up performing. Yeah. yeah. Let alone hitting revenue. And they're giving her grief and talking about putting her on a pit. So my goodness, if you are a sales leader, 
don't do that, right? Figure out what she's doing and teach it to those that aren't doing well. So just a couple of thoughts there. Other last parting thoughts before we dip dip into the the rapid fire questions here. Yeah, one of the other things I would say Day for people to consider because you know software sales is super sexy and I get it right like it, it is super sexy there's a lot of money to be made um, chances are if you're a big software company there's going to be a lot more outlined for you you're not going to have to figure it all out but where I see a lot of software sales people fall down is falling back, back on feature function mm. so just even if your career path isn't selling services go sell services for a minute there's no demo. There's nothing tangible. There's nothing to fall back on. So you have to learn how to have a conversation and dig in with people about their business because there's nothing to show them. There's no, there's no, there's, there's no demo. There's no nothing, right? Like it's consulting. How do you show them consulting? So you naturally have to get into business conversations. So if you're, my first advice would be go start a business and just fail at it, even if you, that's fine, I don't care, or succeed, maybe it'll be awesome. Second is if you can't do that, go sell some services for a while. Everything I've sold has been services and it changes the way you think about selling. And if you apply that to software sales, you'll be so freaking good. Yeah, because the, the problem with selling a software that you can actually demo or a product that you can actually is tangible is you fall in love with the features and benefits and you get right. stuck with that and you don't get into the solution sales, the crafting of the, right. crafting of the solution. So I Doesn't couldn't matter. agree with you more. And you know, the funny thing is, Josh, how long have we been saying that? And I just saw a LinkedIn post today of, oh my gosh, so, you know, it was from LinkedIn, right? LinkedIn said the 2022 sessions, no, it was HubSpot, 2022 mm-hmm. um, sales outcast or forecast stop selling features and benefits there's a hack <laughs> thank you yeah, right oh my appreciate gosh. that yeah right so all right perfect well if somebody's looking to get in sales or maybe move up through the food chain from that small entry level i'm at sdr bdr maybe i'm a customer success and i want to move into sales what are maybe the, the one two challenge biggest challenges that you see somebody having well challenges is going to be bad leadership I think that's one of the things. So find people who care about you and care about your growth. Um, That, that is first and foremost, I've been so fortunate that Justin here at, at LeadMD, which is now shift paradigm, he has given me the opportunity to just figure it out my own way and provide some structure along the way, right? Some intensity that I may not have on my own, a little bit of structure here and there, but for the most part, like, listen, man, you help us grow, we're going to grow together and you're going to be rewarded for it. Great. Um, Steve and my other company, like he taught me how to think like a businessman. We weren't just selling, like we were starting little niche businesses, think different, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I would say find people that care about you and care about your growth. That's first and foremost. You can feel that when you're in the interview process. Um, don't, don't be desperate. Don't fall in love with the idea of my top guy makes a million bucks great. What does everybody else make? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like when you're starting out, like you got to think about those things. Um, and then my other thing we talked about a little bit, don't get caught up in the perception of what you think sales should be. Right. I think there's a lot of perception through the movies, a lot of perception through bad actors, a lot of perception through this and that of what sales should be like, and you should be fast talking and smooth and this and that. Whereas I have some friends that are really freaking good software reps and you would never be like, Hey, I bet that guy's a software sales rep. They are (laughs) highly consultative, really mellow, really dig in, ask deep questions, go super deep with people. They're the most just awesome people that you would ever know. Like that's good sales. It's customer centric. It's, it's, it's not about you. It's about them. And if you can kind of, get rid of those things that you've heard about sales. If you're starting out early, you're going to be better off. So use Josh's advice on being customer centric and asking really diving down really deep whenever you're interviewing. So you can interview the person interviewing you to make sure that you do have good leadership. It's a, yeah, it's a two way interview there. and, And so many times, and no offense, I'm in the profession, right? 
recruiters, man, they don't know what they're doing. And especially sure. whenever it's a technical recruiter and they're trying to hire for salespeople, they have no right. idea what a good salesperson is. And they're just trying to check the box. And if you're outside of the box, they, they, they don't get it. So really make sure that you're interviewing that person as much as they're interviewing you. Couldn't agree with you more there, Josh. Cool. Um, now, how about uh, best, uh, best suggestion that you would have around uh, building up and sales ability. It seems like you're, you're pretty well um, seasoned in this and, and learned. What should we be uh, learning? Yeah. So one of my biggest philosophies is build a pipeline for life. Like forget about the month, forget about the quarter, forget about the year. Treat everyone you talk to as if they're really important. If they're never going to buy from you or if they've got something hot ready to go right now, like you never know what's going to happen with that person. Literally the first person I ever talked to on my first day at LeadMD, I sold them a deal five years later. <laughs> it's was, it was the craziest thing. And this, the, the truth is, is it's, uh, there's a woman named Amy Volas. I've been on her show. She's been on my show. And she says, it's a big, small world. And it's so true, right? Like it's, it seems like it's vast, and but just treat people the right way. And that is going to help you build just this network that has intrinsic value. And, and honestly, there's nothing I could say more than just building a really strong, powerful network. Um, it will help you open doors more than you would ever imagine. Yeah. And it's pretty curious, right? Because there's only three to 5% at any given moment ready to buy what you have. Right. And so it's going to take a while. So that three to five year time horizon is important. Now, curious, how are you managing your time? If you're treating everybody well, how are you managing your time? Because I'm sure that you're disqualifying, treating some, you know, taking them through a shorter process, different process, yet maintaining that relationship. So any golden nuggets in there from that? Yeah, you know, one of the things, your time is obviously very valuable, but you know, the word qualification rubs me a little bit the wrong way. Um, just because, yeah, sure, you have to qualify from a time perspective and things like that, but nobody wants to be qualified. Like, they just don't. So again, focus on the person, focus on what they want and be super honest right at the front end. A, a quick thing, listen, this sounds awesome. This sounds like something that, that you really need to figure out for your business. We're not the right ones. We're just not a good fit for you. And I, I think- you should move, but guess what? I know this person who might be a better fit for you, okay? That quick little thing of we're not a good fit, instant trust builder credibility, they will come back. The second piece of referring them to somebody else who might be a good fit, now you've just opened another door with that person who's gonna say, oh man, Josh is awesome. He sent me that deal. If I ever think of somebody, I'm gonna send him a deal, right? So like all of a sudden you've just grown your network instantly by just identifying a wrong fit, passing them on to someone else who you have built some sort of a trusted relationship and, and moving on. You don't need to nurture that relationship anymore. You don't need to spend the time on it. It'll come back around, I guarantee. They are the best evangelists for you. Couldn't agree with you anymore on that one. Now, uh, resources that you might, re might recommend, books, podcasts, guides, anything along those lines? Yeah, so one of my favorite books is uh, Christopher Voss's Never Split the Difference. It's a Great negotiation book. book. It's about hostage negotiation. It has nothing to do with sales, but it has everything to do with sales. You can use that stuff. You read it and you will find yourself playing and tinkering with that stuff and watching like Pandora's box of magic start flowing out in your negotiation. It's crazy. It's all human psychology stuff. It's really great. Um you mentioned Justin Michael. Justin's a great guy. Uh, Jake Dunlap, he's a great guy. Been on my show, good friend of mine. His show is awesome. He spits out a ton of great content. Um, yeah. Sounds good. I love them. All right. So um, now what do you see coming down the pike? Uh, what's the future hold for you? For me? No, for in, in your world, right? So what, what are the things coming down the pike from a technology perspective that has you kind of maybe a little bit concerned or going, oh, this is going to be great. I can't wait. Um, you know, I think that especially everyone likes to say that things are dead. I don't think anything's dead at any given time, but I do think we're going to have to get more and more intelligent and more and more targeted with how we try to engage with people when we're prospecting. And I have this concept that I, I talked about on a show with somebody we were brainstorming about prospecting because it's harder to get a hold of people through the phone and through email and all these types of things. As you move up into the enterprise, I think that we're going to be 
the seller is going to have to play more and more of a quarterback role. And part of that quarterbacking is arming your executives to do very strategic executive prospecting. You know, think about it. If you sell financial services software, one of the biggest problems we see in sales is you ask the most least experienced people to have converse, business conversations with the most experienced people in this organization. So you have some SDR calling in a CFO who has no idea what a CFO's day in the life is like. Right. But now if you're in a deal cycle and you say, listen, I've identified these five companies. These are great fits for our solution because of XYZ. My research tells me that they're going through this, 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 and this. They're a perfect fit. Now you arm your CFO to reach out to their CFO. There's an instant credibility, instant connection, instant conversation. They can do that. I think that there is a future state, especially in the enterprise, where quarterbacking and sales and prospecting in enterprise sales is exec executive um, <laughs> wrangling, I guess, should I say. Yeah, well, actually, it's a really good point. I mean, um, you talk about multi-threading to a whole new level. Mm -hmm. um, I forget there's an exact term for that, but uh, it's where you have that peer-to-peer -peer engagement. So that's yep. going to become even more and more important. Yeah, I know Jamal Reamer, who just, who wrote the book, uh, Mega Deal Secrets. That's another book I do recommend if you're doing the enterprise thing. It was so freaking inspiring. I was jacked up. Um, but he says, he calls it executive whispering. And I think that that's a, a good term for it. Nice. I like that. So uh, Mega Deal, you said Mega Deal? Mega Deal Secrets. Secrets. Okay, uh, cool. All right. We'll, we'll check that out. Now, um, hey, who should, uh, who should reach out to you? Why should they reach out to you? And how should they do it, Josh? Yeah. So if you are in sales in any capacity, go to lovesellinghatesales.com. Check out the show. I've got a free guide that'll just pop in your email address and you'll get a you know top, I can't even remember what it is, 35 secrets or something like that from salespeople I've interviewed over the years. That's a good one. If you are a marketing executive and looking to transform around your customer, it's josh.wagner at shiftparadigm.com. Nice and easy. And he's, he's on LinkedIn. So check him out there as well. Hey, Josh, I can't thank you enough. I really enjoyed the conversation here. So quick sum up, uh, be growth minded. Don't worry about money. Don't, don't uh, fear it, but run towards it. Uh, have that executive mindset of curiosity, build out your list, niche down, make sure you're time blocking. Um, be more intentional and authentic and make sure that whenever you're not a fit, tell other people they'll appreciate totally. it. Yeah, that's a good one. Really appreciate it, Josh. Thanks so very much. Um, hey, remember, do something about this. Learning for learning's sake is pointless. Learning for knowledge's sake, that's where it's at. Uh, share, share the episode. Put your likes on it. Make some comments on there. Really pr appreciate it. For this episode of the Talent Sales and Scale Show, this is Brian signing off. See you.